Well, hey, good morning. As John Michael said, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing here in our community. My name is John. If we haven't got the chance to meet yet, I get to serve as the pastor of Center Church, which is coming up on five years. And when they tell you five years goes really quick, wow, it goes really quick. If you're not sick of me yet, you have a couple years left at least to get sick of me because I'm, I'm really thankful to be here. And uh, it's fun because like John Michael said, summer's kind of in this weird transition phase. I don't know if we're in summer or not. Um, I'll know when I get out of this very well con- air-conditioned space later. But one of the things that is interesting to me is, is you all have something in common, but you may not have recognized it yet. There's something that every single one of you uh, shares together, and you may not have known it. How many of you, just by a quick show of hands, drove to church today? Okay, so you all have that in common. You have a vehicle, at the very least. Some of you maybe walked, but most of you drove. How many of you have ever had a car break down, have car issues before you had to take it to the mechanic for? Okay, so literally all of us. Okay, now you at least feel a little bit better. You may not know everybody next to you, but you at least know that they have somewhat of a similar issue with cars that, that you do, and I certainly do. I seem to have a knack for letting cars break down. I'm not really sure why. My family always has driven kind of old used cars. And so I kind of followed in that pattern as a broke college student and just kept it going. Like I just kept it going into adulthood. And what saved me is I've had a few, I would literally call them angels. I had a few angels in my life over the last couple of years. And one of these specific angels, one of these guys was at our very first church. So Lindsay and I got married, moved to work on staff at a church in Detroit. And we're in that area And uh, number one, we had to find a mechanic who would deal with our foreign car because it was like just parasitic to them. They're like, I don't know. I don't want to touch a Toyota. So we found one who was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. Okay. I work for the big three, but I'll touch it. You can take it to my shop. And so I remember our very first kind of major repair. Lindsay and I had uh, at the time something to do with the engine that shows you how much I know, but something to do with the engine that was $500. And I remember hearing like, hey, yeah, here's the issue. It's going to be $500 to fix. And I think Lindsay and I sat at our table and just cried. I think we just wept. We were like, we don't have $500 to fix this car. Like, there's no way. Like, what are we going to do? And so I said, you know what? I know who we should call. We should call Doug. So we called Doug, and Doug worked at Nightingale's Body Shop, this, this kind of small place up the road from our church. And so he said, you know what, bring it up to Nightingale's, and we'll, we'll look at it. So we look at it, and he says, okay, it is going to be about $500, but I can get it to you like in the next day or two. And so when we had one car at the time, I said, okay, great. If, if not, I'm walking to my job for the next couple of days. Like, that's the situation I'm in. And so we bring it. And he, he fixes it. He gave us like a 10% discount. He was super kind and was radically committed to our church. And so it was just like this amazing fit. Like I, I couldn't believe because Doug was someone who had a job like nine to five. He didn't work in a church. He wasn't a pastor, but he was fully engaged at his job. He loved fixing cars. He loved helping people as he fixed cars. And often Doug would, would let people know as he fixed their cars, hey, I'm praying for you. Uh, hey, hey there's, is there something in your life going on? Like he was willing to invest in people's lives. I mean, he was giving people big discounts on repairs at a, at a loss to himself. Now, Doug is a perfect example. You've had people in your life like this. Maybe you are this person of someone who is fully engaged in their work, fully engaged at their job. Did you know that it's about 15% of people today say that they are fully engaged at their job? 15 which means that 85% of the American workforce is not fully engaged at their work, which if you're in the medical field, can I just ask you, please be fully engaged. 
Like, I'm terrified of that, that statistic for that reason. Like, I'm bringing my little baby to the pediatric office. I'm hoping they are all fully engaged in their work. Or if I'm getting brain surgery, I'm really praying that you're in that 15 percentile because there's issues. But it's funny because you look around our world, it makes sense. Like, there are so many people who go to jobs every single day who are completely disengaged from their work, from their coworkers, from even how, if they're a Christian, God wants to use them in their work completely disengaged. And it's funny because now in our country, we're facing this unique problem of having more jobs than we have workers. And and I look at that and I say, I don't even know if we have like a work crisis. I think in our world today, we have a calling crisis. We have people who for so many years were told that a job was just a job. And so when the job goes away, no sweat off their back, they don't care. They'll find something else. They'll do something else. But if you have your calling If there's something deeper attached to our work, the things we do, whether we're stay-at-home moms or CEOs, that ultimately can outlast some of those crises, ultimately can give us purpose and significance in our work. And and so I want to just ask and explore the question, what if we've settled for work when God has something bigger for us? What if we have settled for paycheck instead of a purpose? What if we settled for a, a job instead of calling What if we have actually lowered the bar on what it means to be a person who works and actually lives into their calling? See, that's a dream we have as a church. One of our dreams is that as a community, we together would have a a group of people who have zero unfulfilled callings. People who are so committed to finding, God, how have you created me? How have you wired me? And how do I live into that? Whether it's in my job or in spite of my job, how do I do the the things that you're calling me to do and not to miss out on that calling? And, And I love because the scriptures all over the place have stories of people who were unlikely who God called and then used to to illuminate other people's callings and to spread the gospel. And one of my favorite stories is uh, actually in Acts 16. So we talked about the jailer last week. This week, we're going to kind of peel back a couple verses. If you have your Bible or you have something to track with, well, some of this will be on the screen, some of it won't. But in Acts 16, verse 13, here's what we read. So Paul and Silas, who's the same characters, they've been traveling throughout this area and they find themselves in Philippi, this kind of deeply entrenched Roman colony. So up until this moment, the gospel to their knowledge has not spread. This incredible news about the risen Jesus did not get to Philippi yet. And so they're in this kind of leading Roman colony and they stay there a few days. In verse 13, they say, here's what happens. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. And the Lord had opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, that's the whole story. That's what we're looking at. It's just short kind of couple verses just sandwiched in between Paul and Silas's journey through the region of Macedonia and eventually finding themselves in prison, which we talked about last Sunday. But what I, here's some context clues. Like if you're a, kind of a, a Bible nerd, like I tend to be, like I'm really interested in what's surrounding a passage. And I think it does help us to know that. But when you get into this, you find if, 
if Paul and Silas are going to a place, so let's just say they're going to Jerusalem, one of their first stops is going to be the synagogue because they're Jews. They're Jewish people trying to spread this message of this Jewish carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth. And so they try to find, is there some people like us? Is there some people who identify with us? Can we start at the synagogue at least? And they would do that over and over. That was kind of a pattern. Well, you find in Philippi, where do they go? It's not a synagogue. It's, it's a river. They go to a river. They go to a prayer meeting with a bunch of women at a riverside. That's where they go. Paul and Silas, these incredibly gifted apostles of God to spread his gospel, they go to the river. Why? Because there was no synagogue in Philippi. As I said, this was a deeply entrenched Roman colony, deeply entrenched ideals and idols that were so counterproductive to the gospel. There wasn't even a synagogue there. There was no Jewish presence in this area. And yet in this prayer meeting of women, these outsiders, these foreigners, who do you find? Lydia. Lydia was a retail manager who was incredibly successful apparently, but had followed in the way of God that even without having like a synagogue there, in some ways she had become attuned to God and his grace and had begun following him. This, we find at this prayer meeting, this Fortune 500 CEO in her setting, who originally was from Thyatira, which is a pretty big distance away, but because she was successful, she literally traveled to all these regions, which not only was that uncommon for people because you want to get to that level of wealth, it was also uncommon to be a woman at that, in that stage of life, in that status. And Lydia does that. It also lists that she has a, a home, which may sound like, well, duh, where else do you live? But, but in this culture, having a large home that could accommodate all of these people was incredibly rare. So she was incredibly successful at her job. It was a rare asset in the ancient world. But again, remember where they are. Here's where the Bible nerd comes out of me, right? Remember where they are. They're in Philippi. It's a modern day, it's in modern day Greece. It's just deeply kind of committed place to Greco-Roman ideals, which were very opposite the way of Jesus, very opposite the Christian life. And they believed that work was a curse. So in this society, in the culture that Lydia is having this Riverside prayer meeting in, they believed work was a curse. You literally, thank God it's Friday, like on steroids here. Because literally they were just, work, they were trying to work themselves out of work. It's like, if I can just get to this place where, as early as possible, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to have a boss. I don't have to report anything. I can just be, I can go to the riverside. I can go swimming. I can go to the festivals. I can have a nicer house. I can just enjoy life. I don't have to work at all. And what's happening here is Lydia models a different way. Lydia models the way that God actually through her used her gifts and talents as a retail manager, a, an industry leader in purple cloth, which is kind of a famous thing from where she came from, to reach people and to become a gospel witness. See, this is what we miss when it comes to work. We, we miss the fact God's desire is to move us from someone who works to someone who witnesses. Now, if you hear the word witness, immediately you're thinking, if you grew up in kind of the Billy Graham era of evangelism, you're thinking, okay, and now I got to go like bullhorn street corner, picket signs, and maybe, but, but probably not. I think the real, the real kind of core meaning of witness is that everything you do, words and actions, witnesses, it's a testimony to the risen Jesus. Every single thing you do, that's what it means to be a witness. And Lydia does this. She's not a pastor. She's not a priest. She's not a preacher. 
but she uses her way, her, she uses her way of, of selling clothes and leading this fashion industry in her region as she travels around to become a gospel witness. To kind of prove what I mean here, John Calvin, kind of famous theologian, he writes this, he says, according to the scriptural perspective, work, what we do becomes a way station of spiritual ser- witness and service, a daily traveled bridge between theology and social ethics. So in order what we believe about God and, and translating into how we interact in the world. In other words, work for the believer is a sacred stewardship. And in fulfilling his or her job, he will either accredit or violate the Christian witness. This is what it means to work. This is what it means if you're a disciple of Jesus who has a job outside of the pastoral ministry, which last I checked is pretty much all of you. And I'm kind of the weird one out in this setting. But as you look at that, that that's really what it means to work. It's, it's not just to, to get money or to have resource or to find our identity and our accolades or achievements in our, in our organization, but it's actually to use it as a platform to witness, to share and express the love of God that you've experienced. So that's all great. Sounds awesome on paper. John, sign me up. But what happens when you get the vaccine mandate email? What happens when you start doubting your career choice decades in? You've got all this time and all this energy invested, but deep down, don't really know if you fit. What about when your employer goes bankrupt? What about when you get fired? What do you do with that? Because then work becomes non-existent. So how do you leverage that? See, I found something really interesting, and I have friends who journeyed through this, and, and I'd be lying if I didn't say I faced this sometimes. Last year, about 70% of pastors, people in vocational ministry, questioned their job and actually entertained other jobs. I have friends who went from pastoral ministry to real estate, friends who went from pastoral ministry to like business consulting or, or counseling, and none of those are bad. We need people to sell houses and counsel. I'm not saying those are bad, but, but on some level, if you tie what you do or tie your calling as a person to only what you do, only what you produce, only what you earn, you and I are in trouble. Because God didn't call us just to work. He called us to move from someone who works to someone who witnesses. I had a conversation this week. Literally, I was preparing this message. I sat down with a friend, and uh, he works down the road here. And we were just talking about some of the job tensions in his life, and he was questioning, am I in the right spot? And he said, I work for, kind of fill in the blank, and you can use this for your company. I said, I work for this company. But at the end of the day, my real work is the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not like super emotive, but in that moment, I wanted to high five, hug and kiss this cheek. Like, (laughs) because that is someone who gets it. It's someone who understands, right? It's someone who, who gets what it means to have a job, to have a position, but knowing the real work, why I've been put on this earth is not to sell products or to buy cars or to make uh, blogs or whatever. It, it's so much bigger than that. That actually is just a launch pad into being a witness to the risen Jesus. Our calling at the end of the day is Lydia's calling. It's to use what we have, our gifts, talents, and even our jobs to, to, as a platform, as an environment in which through words and actions, we can witness to the power of God. Now, I get not all of you may sit in this room and have kind of a full-on, surrendered, all-in relationship with Jesus. And, and number one, obviously, you're so welcome. You're, this is an amazing church. I, I hope that you grow here. I hope that you can experience Jesus here. I hope you can experience what I've experienced and just the transformation 
that God brings. But if you are a Christian, let me just talk to you for a moment. Because here's what I, I see, and here's what, something that gives me a little bit of caution in this conversation. See, the church's calling to be a witness of the good news means we are the hardest workers at our job. We are the best at our jobs. It means that we live with integrity. We don't cut corners. We don't lie. We don't gossip. We don't backbite about coworkers or bosses. And, and third, we love and serve our coworkers. How many of you have worked alongside Christians in which maybe one, if not zero of those were actually true? All of us. People that claim the name of Jesus who didn't work hard, didn't walk with integrity, and didn't love and serve the people they were around nine to five every single day. I just want to say that should not be true of us. And if I have any influence in your life, can I just say, I don't want Center Church to be known for any of those things lacking from our witness when it comes to work. And the fourth thing that is kind of attached to that, which is now an interesting kind of fat, like phenomenon in our culture, is I don't think there's any dignity, and you can't find the scripture and find any dignity in not working. I'll just leave that there. I'm just going to put that out there. There's no dignity. There's no elevation for the person who says, you know what? I can just live off others or do other things. I don't have to actually work. No, there's actually a part of your life that was called to work. There's actually inherent dignity in work, but it's not just work for work's sake. It actually means that there's transformation and there's a calling on the other side of your work. See, and that made me, that probably makes me sound old fashioned. I've, I'm, I really am a 50 year old trapped in a 30 year old body. If you haven't figured that out yet. So that's okay. And I'm going to live with that. But, but I just don't think there's dignity in that because it's God is after something so much bigger. He actually wants to use what you do to witness to the power of Jesus. You can't do that if you're not working. You aren't a retired CFO, by the way, you are a witness. You're not a stay at home mom with three insane toddlers. You're a witness. You don't sell jeans at Old Navy. You're a witness. You're not someone trying to launch their own business or start their life as an entrepreneur. At the end of the end of the day, you're a witness. You're not a customer service rep. You're a witness. God wants to move us from from having this kind of low level conversation about what we do and taking identity from that and saying, "Can I move you from being someone who works to someone who witnesses?" That's the journey. That, this is literally Lydia's story that God used her in her workplace and, and as she moved around to share the love of Jesus. One of my favorite passages, and, and I, I, you don't have to go there, but I want you to bookmark it. It's a powerful kind of verse to read. Is in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. See, Paul, this same Paul that we're reading about in the book of Acts, who spread the gospel, he's writing this, church, writing this letter to church, and he says this in verse uh, 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Who, who is he talking to there? Is it pastors? Is it church leaders? Is it missionaries? No, he's talking to ordinary people just like you and me. He's saying it's, it's through you. It's through your witness that you actually somehow in the job you have, which may feel very unspiritual right now, but in the job you have to spread the aroma of Christ, this beautiful fragrance. Some of our aroma right now is quite subtle and quite subversive. You can't smell it. And what God wants to do is move us from being someone who works and just has a job, has a role, has something they go to, to someone who actually witnesses and brings that fragrant aroma of Christ. 
Can I take you to a place you've never been before? I'm willing to bet none of you, unless you vacationed here and then you're extremely weird, but uh, have you ever been to Akisar, Turkey? Anybody ever been to Akisar, Turkey? There's a Google map image in case you forgot exactly where it was you went on that weird vacation. Okay, I'm guessing none of us, but Akisar, Turkey is a real interesting place. If you tracked Lydia's life, you would actually find her in modern day Akisar, Turkey. And in Akisar, Turkey, what we know is that Akisar, Turkey is kind of a modern day location for this, this area known as Thyatira. And Thyatira, as we just read in Acts 16, is where Lydia was from. It was a region she launched her business. It's a region that she started to learn who God was and started to kind of open herself up to the gospel work. Now, if you scan back, if you've been with us for a while, you remember we did a series called Jesus People. And in Jesus People, we looked at the letters to the churches in Revelation. Anyone remember some of the letters to those churches where they were? One of them is Thyatira. It's this place. Here's what's really interesting and why I bring up a Google map image of Akisar and we're talking about Thyatira. Did you know Paul never went to Thyatira? Silas never went to Thyatira. Barnabas I mean, all of these leaders, Timothy, I mean, you name it, you go down the list. None of these guys have any record of ever going to modern day Akisar, Turkey, then known as Thyatira. You know who was from Thyatira? Lydia. Any guesses who planted the church in Thyatira? Probably Lydia. All of the research, all of the kind of the, the study and scholarship points to this person, who sold purple clothes for a living, who was in the dye and garment industry. God had done such a powerful work in her and transformed her, led her into this converted relationship, this whole household that ends up getting baptized. Lydia's family and the people working under her were baptized and committed to Jesus. She goes back at some point, we don't know when, but goes back to her home region and launches this beautiful gospel work that stood the test of time. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of years. This church existed and flourished and reached people in their area. And I think that's a powerful thing because there's sometimes we, we look to work to give us what only being a witness can bring. And that's a danger. And we may not all be there just yet. But as I look at that, I look at someone's life who had very ordinary talents was good at her job, clearly worked hard, but allowed God to move her, to move who Lydia was and move her from someone who worked and someone who made money and was wealthy and successful to someone who witnessed, who gave her life and sacrificed it for the good of the people around her. That's what it means to live out a calling. You may sit here and be like, oh, I don't know my spiritual gifts or I don't know how I'm wired. I haven't taken 15 different personality tests yet. I'm not sure who I am. I'm not even self-aware. Like I don't even know what shoes I put on this morning. You may, you may be that way. I don't know. You may be that way. But here's what I want to tell you. You do not have to figure out all those things before living out what Lydia lived out. She lived out this witness life, this deep calling in the exact place she was with the gifts and talents she had. And she didn't look for work to bring her something else. Some of us, to be honest, need to obey God. And there's areas of our life we need to just obey him and do what he's asking us to do. Maybe that's inviting a coworker to church and you're terrified of doing that because what if they think I'm that person or that, that Christian? Maybe that's your step. Maybe some of you, and I'm sitting here knowing that there's probably some of you right now who hear this and say, I think God is calling me into full-time ministry. 
Maybe you're a student, maybe you're an adult, and you're like, but I'm like 20 years deep into my career. What do I do? Can I just tell you, there's people who have done that before you, and there will be people who do it after you. Because God can use anybody in any setting, in any stage of life to, to live out a calling. Some of you need to step out and, and to turn in that resignation letter because you know that there's something else God has for you. And what I'm wondering too is maybe some of you are sitting here you're like, okay, that, those are big steps. Maybe it's not that big. Maybe it starts with you tomorrow, wherever you are, whether it's at home or at work or you're kind of entering the phase of retirement and just say, God, I'm going to submit Monday to you. I'm just going to give you Monday. I don't know what you want to do. I don't know who you want me to have a conversation with. I don't know who you want me to interact with. But, but I'm going to give you Monday. Can I just ask you to wrestle with this question? How could God, how, how could God transform your place of work into a place of witness? That doesn't mean you have to have answers. It doesn't mean you have to have it all ironed out. It doesn't mean you have to have all the solutions, but it's saying, you know what? I work for blank, but my real work is the kingdom of God. And I'm going to leverage my workplace as an environment to witness. So as we close up here, I just want to give you two really easy actions. If you're like, how do I do this? How do I start the journey? How do I get on, on the path? If that's something you're interested in, you know God is working, I'm going to give you two simple things that all of us can do starting tomorrow. Like they're so simple, a lot of them we don't do. <laughs> that's how simple they are because we think there's surely got to be something greater. Can I just tell you there's not? Here are the two things. Number one, invite somebody to church. Almost all of us are sitting here because someone did that for us. I am standing here today as your pastor because someone at some point in my life invited me to a church experience, and here I am. And so it's really basic, but very few of us do this. Invite someone to church. Why is that important? Well, not so that we can have as many people possible in the room, though you probably see empty seats near you, and those could be filled with coworkers, employees, friends, neighbors who don't have a relationship with Jesus. If they, if they die tomorrow, don't have an eternity wrapped up in God. And so that should give us some urgency. That should give us some drive for sure. But because there's inherent value in you expressing your life as a witness, and it could just start with inviting someone. It's so easy. I'm doing all the work for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach for you. Like you don't even have to do that. You just, you just take the steps. Say, you know, I'm going to invite somebody. I'm going to bring somebody with me. I'm going to walk down to family fair and bring them coffee or get coffee or whatever. Like, I'm going to take a few intentional steps to invite someone to church. And the second is really simple. I'm just going to challenge you this week, maybe starting tomorrow, maybe you got to work later today, is to pray before work. Pray before work. So many of us rush and Mondays are hectic and insane. If you have kids, you, you feel me here. Like it's insane. And there's never, there's very rarely, I should say, margin or space just to quiet ourselves before God who loves us and knows what we need and say, God, today's yours. Today's yours. I don't have to have it all figured out. Maybe today's the day I invite that person to church. I need your courage. I need your boldness. But to pray before work, I kind of joke with some of our staff that in this season of life, which feels crazy between grad school and baby and church and a lot of other commitments, that my car has become kind of a monastery on wheels. Because there's, there's very few moments where my life feels quiet and I've got the margin to be silent and still before the Lord who knows me and has what I need. And so sometimes I, I leave a couple minutes earlier. I sit in a parking lot a little bit longer than I would. I don't rush to things as much as I normally would. And when you are stuck in traffic on I-96, that's a great opportunity to pray. 
because that's all I, that's all I can think about because I'm so holy. No, I think about a lot of other things, but, but I, I have to take that opportunity and say, God, I'm, I'm just going to give you this moment. I'm sitting here in traffic. How do you want to move? How do you want to speak? How could you encourage my heart? And then lastly, I want to give you this. So you may be like, I don't even know what to pray. That feels weird. People are going to catch me in the parking lot doing this. What do I do then? I want to give you a prayer uh, that really is just inspired by the life of Lydia. It's very simple, very short. We'll share this online. You can get it later. You can take a picture, write it down in your notes. It's just a simple Lydia prayer. And what I want us to do is as we close our time, is just to pray this together. Just to pray it out loud together right where you are, and then I'll pray for us as a community, and then we'll worship. So let's do this. So let's pray this out loud together. God, give me the spirit of Lydia tomorrow. I am tempted to see my work as a chore, idol, or paycheck. Help me to see the work you have given me as a place to witness to the resurrecting power of Jesus. In his name, amen. So God, I pray right now for the person who as they pray, that prayer of Lydia, as, as they pray, God, would you start to, to help me to see my work as something so much more than work. God, I pray you give them courage and boldness and faith and bravery in some instances where work may feel hostile. I pray you'd open doors, you'd create people of peace, you'd create environments in which not only can they invite people into this story, but that you'd also help them to model the life and the actions and the ways of Jesus right where they are. And ultimately, God, the reminder that is so challenging to me is that you want to make us actual conduits of your very presence in the places we work. And so, God, help us to seek that. Help us to chase after, whether it's in our car or at the school drop-off or whatever we find ourselves doing tomorrow. Would you allow us to be those kind of people, those witnesses that take your presence into any space that we find ourselves in? We love you and we commit and submit our work to you in Jesus' name name. Amen.